fellowshipping, worshiping. <laughs> okay. Uh, is it Uncle Tim's speaker? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it, it actually ended up really good. Uh, I've had this this thing with with Genevieve in life, where over the years, where uh, we'll have we'll each have our different ideas about things, we'll bat around ideas, and then once in a while we'll come into a surprising level of agreement about some plan of action. And that's been a sign to me that that the Lord is is confirming and and you know that He's He's getting He gets my attention that way sometimes. And that's how it was with this trip. And she she's like in my experience of her, maybe this has changed now. She's not a road trip person at all. And I am, you know, like I said last time I shared with y'all, I used to be a truck driver. And I also grew up doing road trips with my family. And so uh, when she I don't know, towards the end of November, said, hey, we ought to drive out to Oregon for Christmas. I was like, oh, that got my attention, you know? And so not only that, but she wanted to just just get there, like no stops, nothing, just go through, straight through. Near miraculous, in my in my experience of our family, we made it from Wilmore, Kentucky to Springfield, Oregon in 41 hours. And uh, it's 35 hours of driving. So there you go. And um, it was, the Lord was in it in a lot of ways. Like he gave us grace for the trip. Our, our kids were amazing. We found these little uh, single book on tape that you could get. It just has one book and they plug their earbuds into it. And that was nice. And uh, as it turned out, when we, we were able to go to church Sunday morning. Uh, I guess it was the Sunday before Christmas, and our pastor out there, his name's Joe Ben Jarvis, he went to uh, Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry in Redding, California, and uh, we also, also my brother-in-law went there, and, and um, that's our kind of people, and um, so just we were got, we got to be a part of that church plant when it was still in the small group in a home stage, and we're kind of part of a core team. And um, so he was talking about taking risks and following God's leading. And when he saw us there, he said, like, for example, Joe and Jen. I was like, oh, okay. And um, (laughs) so he actually invited us to come up and share some of our experience with the Lord. And then he said, uh, okay, I'm I'm actually going to have you all come up and pray for us at the end of the meeting. So while he's speaking, I'm, I'm listening and just listening to the Holy Spirit and just got to share some of our experience and some perspective that I felt like was uh, meaningful and got some feedback that, to that effect. And so it was like, okay, now that makes the sacrifice worth it of what, you know, driving through the night and everything. So uh, really glad to be back. Of course, I was here last week when Sue shared uh, about getting in the fight out of judges. I love that. I told her I, I had just been looking at that passage recently. I think it was Judges 5. And uh, the song of Deborah, my son and I actually read a book that was, it's historical fiction, which was set in that time. I can tell you about it. It's really good. And it's called The Hittite Warrior. I think every, every like, you know, middle school kid should read it. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I lost my train of thought. Um, what are you talking about? Well, anyway, here we are. Happy, oh, yeah, about Sue sharing about judges, and then my understanding, Matthew shared 
the week before about being the light of the world. And so I just believe that the Holy Spirit is speaking to us and there's a weaving together of different voices. And, and, you know, he's speaking to us through, through all of us. Let's listen to each other. And what I'm going to talk about tonight is not like a normal topic to me. It's really about speech and how we speak about one another and about others who, with whom we might have some differences, especially when they're believers, when they're followers of Jesus. Uh, and it's, you know, like I said, it's not something I'd naturally, you know, go to be a go-to for me. However, I did spend last semester working on uh, research in the book of James, which has a lot to say about speech. And my passage I was working on certainly did. And so in some ways, this message is growing out of that research that I did. Actually, very much so. It's coming out of that research that I did. But I also felt the Holy Spirit prompting me that this is, this is what he wanted me to share tonight. So the, the jumping off point, the main passage that I'm going to be sharing on is Numbers 12. And so if you want, you can pull that out. Uh, get to that in a minute. It deals with, uh, if you remember, you may remember the story of when Miriam and Aaron basically challenged Moses' leadership over the community of Israel. And uh, then how Yahweh, how the Lord responded to that. And, um, you know, as I was preparing for this this week, I was also taking a class at uh, Asbury Seminary on uh, teaching. And it's, it was a wonderful prep class. Uh, Professor Ellen Marvin at the seminary taught it, just really valuable. It's going to be valuable for, you know, years to come. And, and so it kind of got me thinking about there's this whole uh, approach now that I guess is really like the current thing of student-centered learning. And some of you all have taught, and I know many of you, some of you substitute teach as well. And, um, and so maybe you're familiar with that. It was pretty new. To, it was new to me as far as like hearing it expressed in those terms. I haven't studied much about teaching. But I've seen it before, you know, once, once they talked about it, it's, it's, uh, it's just a different approach. And, and part of it is just thinking about ways that you can get different learning styles engaged. Mm. And so uh, my learning style is, is or my main one is, uh, it could be called imaginative, it could be called, I think, uh, diverger. But this learning style likes to make connections. You like to make connections with things that you're already familiar with. And of course, you know, we all have at least a piece of each of the different learning styles. So we all like to connect what we're learning with something we're already familiar with. So I was thinking about how to, you know, bring this in, what I'm learning and uh, engage us with, with this. And, but then when it comes to the topic of speech, it's a little tricky. It's actually a lot tricky because as soon as you start thinking, okay, let's think about examples of either a time when I have spoken inappropriately or when somebody has spoken inappropriately to me, it, it stirs up all these, all these complicated things, which, you know, uh, you know, we're here at church. So it's like, you know, we're better to have those things stirred up in a way. But then especially when I started thinking about coming up with an example, it's like, how do I give an example of somebody speaking inappropriately about someone else without thereby speaking inappropriately about somebody else, you know? <laughs> or like just feeding into that cycle, you know? And so uh, in one way, we don't need any 
example, because we can all probably fairly quickly, quickly think of things. However, uh, what I landed on is there's this book that I got for my, uh, when I was doing my research, this is, it's called Sefer Kofetz Chaim, and it's got a Hebrew name because it was written in Hebrew in the 1870s. This rabbi, uh, Israel Meir, was his actually named, he just became known as the Kofetz Chaim. Kofetz Chaim is Hebrew for desire of life. It comes from Psalm, I believe it's Psalm 37, where it says, who is it that loves life, desires life, uh, and loves many days that he may see good? Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. And it's quoted in, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 3 as well. And so he chose that as the title for his book about speech in which he attempted to gather up the wisdom and in the Jewish tradition in drawing from scripture, drawing from Talmud, and just from rabbis over the century and their, their rulings and instruction on this topic. Well, I learned about this when I was in uh, my master's program. I took a master's in, at a school called the King's University in South Lake, Texas, in the area of Messianic Jewish studies. It's a Christian seminary, but they have a department devoted to Messianic Jewish studies led by a scholar and rabbi, David Rudolph, down there. And it was an amazing uh, experience and uh, just life-changing in many ways. And he introduced me to this book, which is, even though it was only written about 150 years ago, is nevertheless the standard uh, go-to book in Jewish uh, halakha, which is uh, the implementation of the Torah, like Jewish guidelines for, for rules of life and God's commandments. And so it, it deals with speech, it deals with gossip, with slander. And so just to introduce the topic, uh, I wanted to read this section from, it's the first of the negative commandments. So Jewish law is divided into negative commandments, like most of the Ten Commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery. And then positive commandments, like love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Of course, that's the gospel's form of that command. Deuteronomy, it's, it's phrased a little different. But it says this, one who gossips about his friend transgress, transgresses a prohibition, as it says, and it has the Hebrew and the translation, do not go as a talebearer among your nation, from Leviticus 19.60. Who is a talebearer? One who goes from one person to another saying, so-and-so said this about you, or I heard that so-and-so did this to you. Even if what he says is true, he is still considered a talebearer, and he brings destruction to the world. There is a sin that is far worse than this, and that is Lashon Hara. Now, Lashon Hara is Hebrew for evil tongue or bad tongue, but tongue is an autonomy for speech, so it can be bad speech. Lashon Hara, which means speaking disparagingly of another person, even if what one says is true, is also considered tailoring and is included in the above prohibition. One who relates false information about another person, however, is considered a mozi shemra, one who bears a bad name and also known as a slander. So that's just a little, you know, those are the categories. I remember my rabbi professor reading that section to us when I was in my master's. Oh yeah, that's helpful to have some you know, categories, just to how to start to think about the ethics of our speech. You know? yeah. 
And then um, I wanted to read this other section, which basically gives an example without giving any specifics, which is about the best we can do. He says, uh, when a person delivers a speech in the base Hamidrash, which means the house of instruction, it is halakhically, that is according to Jewish law, it is halakhically forbidden to ridicule him by saying that his speeches have no substance and there is no point in listening to them. Unfortunately, we see that many people are careless in this area and do not consider such ridicule to be at all forbidden. Yet the halakha, the Jewish law, is that this is considered full-fledged Lashon Hara, human speech. Because such remarks are liable to cause another person financial damage, as well as distress and embarrassment in some cases. Furthermore, even if what the speaker says is true, we know that Lashon Hara is forbidden, even if the information is true, unless there is a constructive intention. But what constructive intention could this scoffer have with this ridicule? So uh, that just gives an example of, you know, like something that he had experienced in their context, which we also often see in our own, in which there's a particular leader or speaker, in, and maybe we have some issue with a point of theology or even a point of practice or application, and we begin to speak about that to others. And so this is what I'm feeling that the Holy Spirit really wants one of the things, this is it's kind of a two-part. This is the first part. The second part is how that applies, not just with leaders, but with all of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so let's go ahead and turn to uh, Numbers chapter 12. I Last time I spoke, I, uh, I had translated the passage, and then I, I ended up reading it out of the ESV anyway. And this time I'm just going to read my translation because mm -hmm. I, <laughs> otherwise I have to explain too much. Uh, now, Numbers chapter 12, I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. Now Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. Ah, sorry, I forgot to give you any context. Okay, in Numbers, we are after Exodus, after Leviticus. So in Exodus, God miraculously saves the people of Israel out of slavery leads them out, you have the, the, the ten plagues, the crossing of the Red Sea, the Passover is first given uh, just prior to the last the tenth plague. And then uh, it says in Exodus 19, it's, I think it's the third month after they had left from Egypt that they're gathered together at Sinai. And so then in Exodus 19 is this... Uh, dramatic revelation of God to his people with fire, with smoke, with the boy, they hear his voice. They're, most of them are terrified. He says, don't come close to the mountain. And he didn't really need to tell them that because they didn't want to go anywhere. Yeah. And then they tell Moses, just have God speak to you and you tell us what he says. So that's what you have through the rest of the book of Exodus and the book of Leviticus. God speaking to Moses. Moses first goes up to the mountain to Sinai, and God speaks to him and gives him this long, uh, all of these commands, instructions about the building of the tabernacle, about selecting the priests and consecrating them, and all of the commands for worship 
for the sacrifice and, and other commands about uh, just regular life, ethics, morality, how to treat your neighbor with, with kindness and love. And then, uh, so that's that goes all the way through the book of Leviticus, and that's all within uh, the first, about the first year coming out of Egypt. And then in Numbers, there's a census, and then there's, there's a series of incidents that are recorded. The one that we're looking at is after they've departed from Sinai, but before the 12 spies have been sent in, or I think it's by, anyway, 12 or 13 spies. Because the, the thing is that Joshua was included, and there's, but also both Ephraim and Manasseh have a representative. So I was just looking at it today and saying, I think there's 13, but anyway, uh, however many spies there were. So what we're looking at is in between leaving Sinai and when the spies are sent to the land. So it's within the first couple of years, uh, at least the best of my understanding and judgment on it. So it says, now Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses in Numbers 12 because of the Cushite woman he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. Cush could also be Ethiopian. They said, has Yahweh really only spoken to Moses? Has he not also spoken to us? And Yahweh heard what they said. Now this man Moses was exceedingly humble beyond all people on the face of the earth. So Yahweh suddenly said to Moses and to Aaron and to Miriam, come out, the three of you, to the tent of meeting. So the three of them went out. Then Yahweh came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent. He called Aaron and Miriam, and the two of them came forward. Then he said, please hear my words. When there is a prophet of Yahweh among you, I make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so, my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. Mouth to mouth I speak to him, clearly and not in riddles, for he sees the form of Yahweh. So why did you not fear to speak against my servant, against Moses? So just, you know, a few observations I have about that passage. It appears to me that Moses' marriage was the grounds that Miriam and Aaron took to, for objecting to his leadership. And so it doesn't give a lot of information. We don't know what it was even that they objected to about his marriage to this woman. Was it based on being from another people? That seems like a likely possibility. Uh, not racial bias in the modern sense, because that wasn't really a part of ancient, ancient conception, ancient mindset. But certainly the idea that this other people does things differently than we do, serves different gods than we do. Uh, so that, that could have been the reason. Uh, it's even unclear in the tradition whether this this Cushite wife was this, a different woman than Zipporah, who we know was a Midianite. So there's a pretty strong opinion in the Jewish tradition that it was talking about Zipporah, and there's various reasons for why she's called a Cushite in this case. Or uh, Moses was estranged from Zipporah, because it says in Exodus 18.2 that he had sent her back to her father. 
And that's kind of a figure of speech for potentially for having divorced her. And so it's possible that he had, he had divorced Zipporah, married this other woman. And then in Exodus 18, we learned that Raul, Moses' father-in-law, that is the father of Zipporah, brings Zipporah and their children back to Moses. So uh, whatever the case, we don't really know, but we know that they had some objection to this marriage. And another observation is that neither God nor any other voice in the passage responds to this objection. Nobody says that his marriage to this woman was justified or legitimate for the following reason. It's not even mentioned. And so it's possible uh, that their objection was had some legitimacy. You know, maybe they were right that Moses had some done something he shouldn't have done in marrying this particular woman. Uh, it, does, it just doesn't say. What it does instead is it focuses on their second complaint, which is, doesn't Yahweh speak through us as well and not only through Moses? And so in saying this, they're not simply saying, you know, we also, it, it's not just at face value, you know, this, Yahweh does speak for us. God does speak for us. That was accepted. There is no question about that. It was that they were challenging that he had this place of privilege, a privileged voice in the community. So what is the Lord's response? He affirms that Moses, in fact, is unique in the community. And he gives three reasons for that. One, Moses is faithful in all my house. So Moses is faithful. Number two, God says, I speak with him mouth to mouth. Some translations say face to face, which is a good translation. It means directly and intimately. And then number three, he sees the form of Adonai of Yahweh. So what do we do with this? And first of all, in that ancient context, I think that uh, the scripture is clear that they were wrong in their complaint. In fact, Miriam is afflicted with leprosy. It says the anger of the Lord burned against them. And so he makes it clear that this was not okay. <laughs> you know, this wasn't acceptable. They had crossed a line they should have crossed. But how do we bring that forward to today? Are we looking for a Moses figure in our generation? You know, no, I don't think so. If it Anything Jesus is the second Moses, you know, he certainly is, and the gospels present him that way. But there's something else to this, and, and how I how I landed on this is like I said, I was working in the book of James this past semester. I was struggling with this particular verse, set of verses in the book of James, struggling to understand what it means. And I came to believe, and I, I feel that there's really good evidence that. James is referencing this incident in Numbers 12. So the verses are James 4, 11, and 12. So if you'd like, you can turn to that. I'm going to just give my own translation again, not because it's, you know, I'm special, but just because, I don't know. You see things, once you learn the original languages, you see things in them, and then you, I would have to, like, meld together, like, three or four different translations, you know? So sometimes it's just easy. So James 4, 11, and 12, it says, Do not speak against one another, brothers and sisters. Whoever speaks against a brother or judges his brother 
speaks against the law and judges the law. For the one who judges the law is not a doer of the law, but a judge. One is the lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? So going back to the beginning of that, do not speak against one another, brothers and sisters. This my choice to translate this speak against is, is followed in some English translations, but it might be a little more common that they'll use the word slander. And uh, try not to get into too much detail, but I believe that the reason for that is that this word that's, that I translated speak against and is elsewhere translated slander is the word that's used in the Greek version of numbers for uh, when God rebukes Miriam and Aaron for their speech against Moses. It's a word, kata laleo. Kata meaning against, laleo meaning to speak. It's a rare word outside of the Bible in, in uh, Greek literature. And so my the other thing you need to know about that in order for this to kind of come together is that this incident of Miriam and Aaron challenging Moses' leadership became a like a kind of like a prototypical example of Lashon Hara, evil speech in the Jewish tradition. And I think there's strong evidence that this was already the case at the time of Jesus. And so this, this word slander, which falls under the umbrella of this category of evil speech, is, is one particular way that we could speak against one another. So what are the different ways? So gossip is like uh, in, when I read before about tail bearing, gossip is telling information that's negative. It might be true. In fact, probably is true. Well, I guess it doesn't have to be true. It's still be gossip. But the idea is that the person who's telling it considers it to be true. And so it's spreading bad information. It's tail bearing. And then slander is typically understood in English as malicious and generally false information of a negative character spoken about another person, okay? So in the New Testament, this term slander is used in different places. And um, anyway, I've gone, on, I've gone into enough detail, I think, about that. But leave it just to say that I felt that to say speak against one another was a better translation in this case. So, uh, but in my, in my reading of this passage, it's not actually mainly talking about something. And so what I, what I keep coming back to is there's, there's a few different ways in which this passage relates to Numbers 12. And I think maybe the best thing is if you want to hear more about that, you can ask me afterwards or some other time. But uh, I do believe that James is referring back to this incident with, with Miriam and Aaron. And what's, what's interesting about that, it's not just that they were saying something negative, that they were challenging something he had done. They were challenging his place as, a, as the uh, recipient of God's word, as the transmitter of God's word to the community. Now, when we get to the New Testament, who is in that position? in the community in the New Testament? Well, of course, Jesus. But moving forward, after Jesus has ascended to the Father and the Holy Spirit has been sent, who's in that position? 
wasn't it? All of us, brothers and sisters. He's there's a new a new thing that God's done. He's put His Spirit within us, and He's put He's inscribed His law on our hearts. Like it says in Jeremiah, one of those prophecies. And so then we see this in Second uh, Corinthians three. There's a um, you can kind of see this a little more clearly. It says in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 7. Now, it, it, it refers to the administration of the law under Moses. At first, as the ministry of death, and later as the ministry of condemnation. And what it's saying is that the command to a people to follow God's law without the Holy Spirit being put within them leads to death because they're not capable of it. So without God's empowerment, we cannot fulfill his law. And so it says, now if, the, and this time I'm reading out of the Tree of Life version, which is a version that was specifically translated for, the, for use by Messianic Jewish communities. It, it says, now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that B'nai Israel, which means the people of Israel, could not look intently upon Moses' face because of its glory, although it was passing away. How will the ministry of the Spirit, or the Ruach, not be even more glorious? For there is glory in the ministry of condemnation. Or sorry, for if there is glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness overflows even more in glory. For even what was glorious is not glorious in comparison to the glory that surpasses it. For if what is passing away is glorious, much more what remains is glorious. That is what endures. We are not like Moses. I'm sorry, verse 12 says, Therefore, having such hope, we act with great boldness. We are not like Moses. We used to put a veil over his face in order for the people of Israel not to look intently upon the end of what was passing away. I'm going to jump ahead to verse 18. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, if you remember, I said that the Lord pointed out three characteristics of Moses that stood out, that distinguished him from the other people. And the second of those was that God spoke to him mouth to mouth or face to face. So there's this intimacy. And I feel that this verse, uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18, to me kind of captures that. We all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. So what I believe is going on, and um, just, to, just to kind of support this in uh, James, because I was talking about the book of James, and um, that he is, he is saying, do not speak against one another, brothers and sisters. And he's comparing the brothers and sisters to Moses, what's happening. And part of, another part of how I can see this uh, shown is that in James chapter 1, he instructs the community, receive with humility the implanted word. And he uses this word uh, in Greek, prose which is the same word that God uses to describe Moses in Numbers uh, 12 in the Greek version of the text. 
Moses was humble beyond all, uh, all people in all the earth. And James tells, tells his community, he says, receive with humility the implanted word. Well, who received the word of the Lord and took in the Torah? Moses. And he's described as the most humble person on the face of the earth. So, both, so now both Paul and James are in some way comparing the believer in Yeshua and Jesus to Moses. So we have this intimacy with God. And then we receive his word. The other uh, two features of, or characteristics of Moses that I pointed out, one is that he was faithful. Well, you know, I, I pondered that and I thought about in, um, in, in 2 Timothy where it says, what even if we are not faithful, he's faithful. And how it says, actually it's further on in 2 Corinthians. Uh, let me pull that one. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 saying God made Jesus, he made him, that is Jesus, who knew no sin, to be in sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God. So we're able to receive the character of Jesus through our trust in him and through his sacrifice, so that his faithfulness is ascribed to us. We have this intimacy with him, and it talks about in Hebrews as well, that we, we come into the holy place, which is the center of, in, in the tabernacle, in the temple, it was the center of Jewish worship. It was where the presence of God dwelled on the, the bima, the, the sometimes called the mercy seat, um, on top of the Ark of the Covenant. And it says both in uh, Ephesians, he, he suggests this, and in Hebrews, he says it very clearly, we've come into that holiest place through the body of Jesus. So we have this intimacy, we have this, this righteousness that's to us. And then it says the, the third distinction of Moses, he had seen God's form. He had seen the form of Yahweh. And have we seen the form of Yahweh? Well, when Philip said to Jesus, he said, Jesus, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. You remember what Jesus said to him? He said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So first he said, have I been with you so long, Philip, and you do not know said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And elsewhere, I think that maybe it's in Colossians, it says he's the exact representation of the Father's being. So we have, most of us, I presume, have visibly seen Jesus, but he's been revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. And he's revealed to us through his body. And so we do have this way in which we are able to behold the Lord that the people did not before the coming of Jesus. So what do we do? Uh, you know, what do you do if, like I said, I'm not going to give an example because <laughs> I don't want to contribute to that. But what do you do if there's a figure, a leader, maybe in your own community, maybe nationally, internationally, who you really have some problems with their teaching or even their practice. You know, how do we handle that? What do we do when the topic of somebody comes up, even if it's not a leader? Because like I said, I don't think this is limited to that. I think this is about how we speak about one another. You know, it's interesting in uh, Matthew, when Jesus says, so this is one part of the answer, what do you do? If, if you have something against your brother or you see 
sin. And do you see some, you know, uh, sin? I'm trying to remember how it says it. If your brother or sister, if your brother sins, it says, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. And then it gives this these steps. If he doesn't listen, take another brother with you. If he still doesn't listen, bring it to the church. And then what? What if he still or she does still doesn't listen? Treat him or her as a Gentile or an unbeliever. Well, how do we treat Gentiles and unbelievers? Right? With sacrificial love. Yeah. With life-changing love. We give, we give ourselves, just like Jesus gave himself for us before we knew him, before we followed him. So uh, so that's that's one part of it. Know, but there's more to it. Sometimes it's it's not like that. It's it's uh, we're in the middle of a conversation, and somebody starts talking about another person. Right? It happens all the time. It's just one of the most common infractions of God's ways. What do you do? You know, I think one of the things we have to do, and he talks about it in this book. I'm not going to read it because I want to get on to something else. But he says there's times when you just have to let it be awkward. You know. Just no response, you know? It's a thumper principle. Remember that from Bambi? Remember that? Bambi just born and he's, he's like trying to stand up. If I remember this way, I remember it's been a while. So it's kind of wobbly, isn't he? <laughs> and Thumper's mom says, Now, Thumper, what did your father tell you? Don't have something nice to say. Don't say nothing at all. Yeah. So, you know, like, let's have some courage, right? If we're in these situations where somebody comes up, whether it's a leader or a friend or an enemy, an adversary, let's just have some uh, grit to us to be willing to just stand there and let things be awkward. You know, just to not respond. Or maybe it's a situation where you can, where we can actually challenge the person and say, biblically based, you know, just like, I don't think we should be speaking that way about it. Uh, but there's more, there's more to it. It's not only uh, confront your brother in private, and it's not only don't say something bad. There's a, there's another one. It's, it's been attributed to Abraham Lincoln and to Mark Twain, but my understanding is both of those are false attributions. It's this saying, uh, where is it? Better to remain silent and be considered a fool than to open one's mouth and remove all doubt. <laughs> right? So, like, the thing is that when we're in those situations, according to other people's perception of us, we actually, like, feel like we sound wise, you know, like, oh, I know, you know, I can contribute something to this discussion of this person that's has insight. You know, we think people, will, maybe people will think better of you, but in God's standards, <laughs> we nevertheless show ourselves to be a fool if we engage in any kind of gospel song. So uh, I, I love that one. And, and Jen told me, you know, there's got to be a problem about this. And there is. There's a, uh, at least there's probably many. But one of them is uh, the effect of uh, even a fool, when he remains silent, seems wise. Yeah. But there's more to it than that. It's not just uh, remaining silent. 
It's not just rebuking our new, but rather privately. It's uh, Jesus' principle. But I say to you, I say to you who hear, that is, you who are listening, you have ears to hear, love your enemies. I think that word, somebody once said, you could put in for that word enemies, adversaries. Because enemies sounds really strong. And I think it's true. We should love our enemies. But there's a lot of people, like uh, brothers, you know, uh, there's a lot of relationships where we kind of have an advers- adversarial relationship. We wouldn't call that person our enemy. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, we might say something about them. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you or those who dislike you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. As Paul puts it in Romans 12, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. So we have these choices, the blessing and the curse. What is blessing and what is cursing? Well, one thing it is, is very simply, blessing is to speak well of someone. Cursing is to speak ill of someone, even if it's true. Uh, it could have the, the uh, prophetic uh, of speaking into what God's doing, foretelling. Uh, and and if you have a prophetic gifting, which you've got the Holy Spirit, you've got a prophetic gifting, then you can see. Sometimes you can see both. You can make even if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you can see how things could go well with this person or how they could go bad. And so, blessing is to speak into the good. And uh, another another way to think of it is um, to wish someone love, to wish that it would go well with them, that they would prosper in ancient agricultural economy, that their crops would do well, that they would have a good harvest, uh, that they would be prosperous. And so we're going to do a, we're going to put this into practice. And uh, this is going to be about blessing one another, and it's also going to be about listening to the Holy Spirit uh, what he's saying. Sing his voice. So you want to take away? Yeah. So I wanted to kind of do something that we've done a lot in our church back in Oregon, where we constantly are practicing and hearing from the Lord and applying it to people in a safe place in our congregation, so that once we kind of get in the groove and we get used to hearing from the Lord, how he speaks to you, we can start practicing it out in wherever we are in life. And so um, it's a really cool thing to you to keep some cards in your purse in case God prompts you to give a word to your waitress, the, the guy at the gas station, anything like that. Um, just a cool way to bless someone. Um, and then 1 Corinthians 14, it talks a lot about how we need to eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially prophecy, because it edifies the church. And um, I just think it's such an encouraging way to share the Lord with people. And uh, I've definitely been blessed in my life with words spoken to me from youth pastors to people I don't even know just throughout the years. And we both have kind of a prophetic file we keep at home on, you know, it's full of little pieces of paper and all sorts of things we've scribbled down what someone said to us and we just want to keep those words and pray over them and to know that God is going to fulfill those it's um, going to see those pass in our lives and even though it seems like it may be something that is way out there 
um, way off in the future. I feel like it's still really great to keep a file of any kind of words over your life somebody gives you. Um, and so I wanted to do something, a practical exercise where I'm going to pass out these cards where um, you write your name on the back and then we're going to give it back to me in my basket and I'm going to mix them up and then everyone's going to get a name of someone, whether we're such a small group, but maybe someone you know, or someone you don't know. And then we're going to have some time to hear from the Lord and see what comes to your mind, see what um, encouraging word we can give to that person. And then you have to hunt them down. If you don't know everyone's name, it'll be time to figure out who they are, get to know them, and then give them this word that they could hold on to and pray over and encourage them throughout the week or even throughout the years. So if you're keeping your distance from people, we can, you know, deliver cards. <laughs> so even, wow. even our kids will do this too. So it's, it's So just write your name on one side. Probably maybe on the one side. Anyone have any pen or anything? There's another one with the same person. I'm not sure. 